It's Tuesday, January 19th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Jason Moser in the house. Good to see you. Hey, you. We have an acquisition. It's not Monday, but it feels like Merger Monday. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're going to start with another big bank, though, because Bank of America wrapped up their fiscal year with, let's just call it a mixed fourth quarter report. Profits were higher than expected for Bank of America. Overall revenue was a little light. The stock is flat, which is pretty much in keeping with the past 12 months for shares of Bank of America. Yeah, um, I mean, the financial sector in general didn't have the greatest 2020. I mean, that was one of the underperforming sectors of the year. Understandably, I mean, it's it's been a difficult environment for for all sorts of banks, both big and small. But um, I, I mean, in looking through the release, it, it, it's a bit of a trick to really square this one up because in the release, one one of the points the CFO noted said, despite one of the worst economic environments in modern memory, and it, you feel like right. There, he's just setting us up for something, you know, it's just not going to be very good. We ended the year stronger than before the health crisis and well positioned to support our clients. Um, and, and they go on to talk about having grown deposits by $361 billion, capital ratios are at record levels, uh, they're, they're back to returning capital to shareholders. So, it, it, given that it is one of the worst economic, <laughs> economic environments in modern memory, these guys seem to be doing okay, and and hey, that's that's great. I mean, maybe maybe there is something to the liquidity that's been pumped through the system here over the past year, and and, and that's for obvious reasons. Um, I think going into the quarter, a lot of the things that uh, I had been focused on, and we talked about this last week, but but generally speaking, just this this how how they're feeling about the the, the recession. Um, Generally speaking, how they're feeling about returning capital to shareholders, if there was any per- perspective on the political climate and uh, reserves, I think was really another big point. And, and, and to that point, uh, reserves are are going in the right direction. I mean, they were able to release $828 million of reserves. And so we've talked about before how releasing those reserves and put those reserves aside uh, in order to prepare themselves for, for a potential uh, difficult climate of write-offs in bad loans well it's it's maybe not as bad as as once suspected so they're able to release that that reserve and and that goes to the bottom line also uh, benefiting earnings they saw expenses uh, decline 474 million dollars from from the previous quarter on lower lit- litigation costs and they actually saw that net interest income bump a little bit which was nice even though it's really Incremental at best, um, but but I think all things considered, we saw a lot of similarities with the other big banks that announced on Friday. Deposits are up phenomenally. I mean, it, it just going back to that liquidity that's been pumped through the system here over the past year, the deposits were up twenty three percent. Loans, on the other hand, down a couple of percent. So it, it, they're they're cont- they're contending with a little bit of a, of a of a difficult environment in that regard, but they do see a. A good environment for deposits here this coming year, and and that's you know banks are in the business of of making money with that money, so so that ought to set them up for decent uh, success here this coming year. And then back to the re- returning the capital to shareholders. I mean they're, they're able to get back to buying back shares, keep paying the dividends, and um, and, and I think that ultimately puts these guys in a pretty good spot. So when you look at Bank of America flat over the past year, does it look like a value opportunity right here? I definitely can see 
Yes. I mean, I, I think that generally speaking with these banks, I mean, I, I feel like 2021 is shaping up to be a good year for most of these banks. And I think a lot of that is because we should start to see some recovery. We should see that trend of releasing those reserves continue. And at some point, we're going to, I don't know that this is going to be anything we see really in 2021, but we might start hearing some talk about it at least, is is an improving interest rate environment, which would then benefit their their bottom line as well. Um, again, I think that's something we would probably hear about a little bit later on. But but I think given the performance of these banks in 2020, again, they, they were one of the underperforming sectors. Uh, I, I think that things are shaping up to look a lot better in 2021 than they did in 2020. And, and it just it goes, to, goes to show that some of these banks are managed very well. And I, and I think when we talk about CEOs in this, in this space, Jamie Dimon is the name that always comes up, to me at least, as really the leader of the pack. I would put Brian Moynihan in there as, as maybe like a 1B. I mean, I think he's really, really good. And he's been with Bank of America, and I think, since 2010, he's been, he's been running the show there. And I think that the longer you have a, a, a leader in, in, that, in that type of position who just continues to do the things that he or she says they're going to do, I think that investors have to continue to, to look at that optimistically. And, and given the underperformance last year, I mean, I, I could see that these banks, I, I could see 2021 shaping up to be a better year for them, no doubt. We have a deal in the laser industry. Lumentum is buying Coherent, a rival laser maker, for $5.7 billion. This is a cash and stock deal. And Wall Street making it very clear what they think of this deal. Shares of Lumentum down 10%. Coherent shares up more than 30%. Is Lumentum overpaying? <laughs> I, I can't ever. I can't. Whenever you say the word Lumentum, I mean immediately, you know, my mind it, it just goes back to that inside joke. Ask your doctor if Lumentum is right for you. It, so I just I mean, want to get that it, out there. It doesn't sound like a laser maker. It really it, does, it does sound <laughs> like a pharmaceutical <laughs> of some sort. It sounds like a pharmaceutical you would see during during a PGA broadcast or a football game. You're right. I totally agree with that. And it's every time I hear that, I just I can't. I, that's the first place my mind goes. But but yes, Lumentum is in the business of lasers, among other things, and that's what this deal really is about. Uh, this is about getting coherence laser business. Now, Lumentum is a company I've talked about on on our show here a number of times. It's it's a company that I've recommended in. My services. It's one that's just performed tremendously well over the past couple of years, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with their leadership role in VCSEL, and that's vertical cavity surface emitting lasers, and that's essential technology for uh, these these devices. Now we're getting into this this whole world of, of sensors and, and uh, 3D imaging and, and augmented reality and virtual reality, stuff like that. And, and VCSEL is, is an essential technology for that. <clears throat> and so, for Lamentum, as the leader in that space, they've seen a lot of success recently. And part of that is because they have a really big customer by the name of Apple. You probably heard of it. Uh, Apple is responsible for about 26% of Lamentum's revenue. And in 2020, it was, it was responsible for 26% of, of Lumentum's total revenue. So they've been somewhat reliant on Apple, and that's okay because, because honestly, that technology is needed. Uh, 
but it is also a little bit of a risk. And so, with Lamentum, they have two pieces to their business. It's the optical communications business, and that's where the VCSEL falls. And that is the overwhelming majority of the business. The little little sliver of the business that really focuses on lasers, though, and, and that's where this acquisition comes into play. So it's a complementary deal in that regard. This is this is technology that Lamentum didn't really have. Coherent, interesting little business that is uh, it's it's it, it, dealing with with COVID headwinds. I think about as well as they could. Um, it's a smaller company, but it is one that does most of its business outside of the U.S. So about seventy six percent of net sales in fiscal twenty twenty came from outside of the U.S. for Coherent, and uh, I, I do think that with with this line of work, I mean, there's no question you can see the benefits of scale. And we're seeing this play out. I mean, look at some of these acquisitions that have been recently announced. I mean, from all companies, big and small, you've got NVIDIA acquiring ARM, you've got AMD acquiring Xilinx, you've got Marvell acquiring Infi, now you've got Lumentum acquiring Coherent. And so, an interesting aspect to all of these deals is that they are part cash and part stock. Right? These are not deals where the companies are just coming in and saying, all right, we're just going to pay cash up front. And I think it's just interesting to note that because we, we talk a lot about these lofty market valuations right now, and that's true. And, and that begets some lofty, lofty offers like we're getting with this coherent deal. But by the same token, these companies are at least using part stock to fund the deal. So they're using a relatively cheap form of currency to do that. And, and, and I think that's just something to keep in mind. Um, it does make sense, I think, in today's environment to do that. And I think that with the, with the direction the world is headed, we talk about microelectronics, we talk about lasers, we talk about VCSEL and all of these different things this technology is doing. Lamentum and Coherent coming together. It seems like a very complimentary deal, and the reaction from the market today seems very much aligned with the way it normally would react here. I mean, the acquirer is the burden of proof is on the acquirer. Um, understandably, coherent shares are popping because of the offer. Uh, but all in all, as, as, a, as, a, as someone who covers Lamentum, I, I can see this deal working out as long as they're able to integrate it with minimal hiccups. And I should point out, and you sort of touched on this, I mean, the 10% drop that we're seeing with Lamentum stock, this does come against a backdrop of a stock that over the last two years has doubled. Yeah. So yeah. it's, you know, it's not like some deals we've seen where we've seen the acquiring stock drop a little bit and that's not the case where they, it's, you know, doubled in, in a short amount of time. I do wonder though, uh, and this is another thing you touched on, I, I do wonder if, we're just going to see a lot more deal making in 2021 than we did last year, in part because, as you said, we've got cash and stock deals where the where the stock has has run up, so it's a cheap currency. Also, it really doesn't seem like interest rates are going higher anytime soon. No, I I don't think they will. I mean, we might. We might start hearing a little bit more of that conversation towards the end of this year. Uh, that that remains to be seen. Even then, I mean, we're still looking at a situation where uh, we will probably be witnessing low rates for quite some time. I think that really, uh, we were talking about Janet Yellen 
earlier and she seems to to feel like hey listen this is the time right now where you gotta go big right let's not just piecemeal this thing together we're coming out of just one of the most brutal economic times here where uh covid is is obviously uh, just ransacked the economy from a number of different perspectives so it, it does seem like at least her perspective is go big or go home and part of that going big is going to require interest rates to stay low for some stretch of time until they at least see some signs of inflation coming around and even then i mean it it you know, it's it remains to be seen exactly how they approach that. So, so yeah, I, I do think that we are in a low interest rate environment for some time to come. But, but yeah, it is, it is nice to see. I mean, in a time like this, when companies have these valuations, I mean, that expands their, their balance sheet a little bit, right? It, it expands their capability of what they're able to do. And, and so, I mean, nothing's cheap in this market, except for maybe banks, right? Um, and, and that's just something you got to deal with. But at least on the flip side of that, they're able to use that, that form of cheap currency in shares that, uh, as long as the acquisition makes sense, um, then, then maybe price isn't necessarily as big of a sticking point. And, and I mean, I think, listen, coherent, coherent. It's it's had its fair share of difficulty over here over the past year. But I mean, this is a company with some strong technologies, vertically integrated manufacturing, so they do protect a lot of their a lot of their intellectual property. And I think that's something that that Lamentum is. Listen, they're good at what they do. I think they'll bring these guys in and and uh, and make it work. You can follow us on Twitter. At MarketFoolery is the show's handle. Question from Neil in Rockville. In light of calls for government action against big tech companies like Facebook, etc., if I use the QQQ to, and he puts in quotations, spread the love, do I protect myself better by going with the QQQE? Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. Yes. Um, which I love that touch at the end. So thank you for yeah. that, Neil. So for those unfamiliar, the QQQ is the NASDAQ 100. That's, you know, uh, you can get that in ETF form. It's basically we're, we're, you know, getting shares of, uh, you know, the top 100 companies on the NASDAQ. If I understand this correctly, the QQQE is the NASDAQ 100, but it's equally weighted. Yeah. Do I have that right? Whereas the QQQ is, is it price weighted? So yes, you queued, you queued in. I think I'm queued in. There you see what I did there. <laughs> so um, yeah, it, that is the that is the main difference there when you talk about these two ETFs, right? You've got the QQQ, which is market cap weighted, versus the QQQE, which is equally weighted. And so that's really just like it sounds. I mean, when a when a fund is market cap weighted. It's favoring those those big companies more so than the small companies, and and in the equal weighting scenario, everything is given an equal weighting as as it as it implies. Um, and and it's not to say one is necessarily better than another. Uh, it is worth noting, and if you look at the returns over the past three years, the QQQ uh, total returns are up ninety three point five percent. The QQQE total returns are up 70%. So, there is definitely some outperformance there, and that's understandable because of the market weighting, the market cap weighted index. It, it favors uh, big tech and how big tech has really just been on such a tear here over these past several years. And that's really the crux of this question is, it, or is that tear coming to an end, right? I mean, is, is regulation is regulation such a threat that it, it could be a headwind for big tech here in the coming year, two, three years, what have you? Um, and, and I mean, that's that's a legitimate question. I mean, I, it really remains to be seen. I just I just don't know how far 
you know, this new administration wants to push that. And, and so that really is the question to answer. I mean, I think that when you when you look at investing in a, a market cap weighted portfolio, because you're more concentrated in those big companies, if those big companies hit a wall or, or performance starts to really uh, slow down, well, then you're going to see your returns uh, reflect that, right? Whereas that QQQE, that equal weighting, you're going to be less exposed to those bigger companies if they do end up hitting a wall. So, it, I mean, listen, the math is there, right? You can see over the last several years that the the, the market cap weighted uh, ETF has been the way to go. Uh, but that doesn't mean that'll always be the case. Um, I think either way, you're pretty well diversified. Um, I, I, I think, I tend to feel like I tend to feel like this this talk of regulation is a bit more bluster than anything else. I feel like uh, they'll probably put these companies through a microscope and, and scrutinize and whatnot. I, I I don't know that I'd really bet on on any of them being broken up. It's it's really it's it's difficult to see that at this point. It's kind of the toothpaste is out of the tube. But I mean, anything can happen for sure. I mean, I, I think that either way, I mean, you're you're doing well owning either one of these. But but there is. There's a question to be answered there in regard to regulation, and that's just difficult to predict. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. From Sebastian in Sweden, he writes, Love the podcast and hearing about U.S. stocks. However, it would be interesting to hear your take on the Swedish live casino provider Evolution Gaming that's kicking ass and taking over the world. <laughs> yeah. I, had, I was unfamiliar with Evolution Gaming. That makes sense. Uh, from, a, from a stock perspective, he's not wrong. This thing's up about 160% in the, in yeah. the past year or so. Um, uh, I'm going to guess you're not overly familiar with Evolution Gaming, but you know, prove me wrong. <laughs> not overly familiar with the company itself. Um, familiar with the general uh, market, the general idea. You know, one of one of our uh, we have, we have a service uh, called the Future of Entertainment, where we focus on all sorts of different ways that entertainment is is. Uh, dictating our lives and certainly certainly sports betting and gambling and gaming are a part of that and um, companies like Churchill Downs and Flutter Entertainment I mean those are companies that that have uh, made their way onto our radars and it, and it looks like evolution gaming certainly should be one that is uh, because it is it is proving that that they they are they're on to something now if it just give you an idea of what evolution actually does they develop and they produce and market and license live casino solutions for gaming operators. So then the gaming operators take that and they market those products. They offer those products to end users like you and me. Um, Evolution's customers are actually these these large online gaming operators, primarily in Europe and elsewhere around the world. The U.S. is part of it, but right now that's really just a a. a a tiny part of their business. So I think part of their success has been the fact that it's it's such an international play, right? It's not something that's really hinging on success in the US. And I understand the optimism there because it does feel like these uh, these floodgates are starting to open up in the US, which is going to give more opportunity for them to grow and they have grown. I mean, they've gone from 31 million uh, euro in revenue in 2012 to 366 million in 2019. So the growth is there. And 
clearly, I mean, this 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 pandemic has shown the value in in uh, digital first businesses, and that's really what evolution is. It's just it's giving you the opportunity to participate in your favorite gaming or gambling, whether it's live roulette or Monopoly Live or blackjack or baccarat or hey man, Texas Hold'em, whatever you want. I mean, they really do offer it, and and it just essentially they run these games from their studios, uh, their studio casinos, so to speak, and and allow. Uh, individuals to, to be able to participate via their favorite device, whether it's your phone or your laptop. Um, so again, I mean, I think this represents a tremendous opportunity. I do understand the enthusiasm behind this name, and it's probably something that we should pay a little bit more attention to. Jason Moser, always good talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.